Are Ready, bops. Okay, so you know what I've been. You know what I was doing on my way here. Driving. It's a good one. Asleep at the wheel. No, I was listening to. Can you guess? Uh, Kenny Chesney. I was uh, listening to some Bible dingers. Oh. Oh. I figured I'd get prepared for Bible dingers with Bible dingers. Mm. I was listening to the season three recap. Recap. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably what they should be called because they're such crap. I don't know. That's pretty vain, Nick. Yeah. You just like to hear your own voice. Yeah. No, I, I like to hear you guys' voice. Oh. So I can judge you. By the way, if you guys don't know this, now, for whatever reason, we always record at like 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. We're kicking it back. We used to do We're this. kicking it so back, we, yeah. I remember waking up at like 4 something, I think, and then... Me and you driving to the church. Yeah. And we met at the church at like five in the morning. Yep. Except it was way different because we lived 10 minutes from the church. Yeah. So that was pretty sweet. Yeah. Even Bernie was there. Yeah. Bernie was there. Uh, anyway, you guys know how we start the show. Breaking news on Bible Dingers News Network. Now I hit the kids saying new Bible Dingers. Yeah. Hey, 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 you guys know how we start the show. Bible Dingers. I'm Nick. I'm here with Ryan and Mark. Hey. And we are Bible Dingers. And I got one for you that I believe is going to bring the stump. But if this is your first time listening, we start each and every show with fake news or real news, where I come up with a headline, and Ryan and Mark have to figure out if it's real or fake. After that, we dive into the topic, and today's topic is going to be the book of Matthew, and I'm excited about that one. Mm. All right, guys, are you ready for this? Daddy loves docs. Keeping it fresh for season four, huh? All right, keeping it fresh. <laughs> Talking about keeping it fresh, that was perfect segue into this fake or real news. You're perfect, Mark. Which is Charmin. You guys know about that? Shaman. Mm -hmm. Shaman offers criminal a year's supply of toilet paper if she turns herself in. <laughs> it's fake news or this real news. Very uh, pandemic, like oh. quarantine type news, you know? I would say that's real. I bet you she stole a bunch of toilet paper mm. or something like that. But why would they offer her toilet oh, paper? I don't know, Mark. Um, I say it's true. What do you say, Mark A? Shaman, out of nowhere, says. I'll offer you a year's supply of toilet paper if you just turn yourself in. <laughs> I'm going to say fake. Fake news. And Ryan says real news. Yep. I've made a decision today on my way here when I was listening to the recap. Mm. Yeah. And that is when you guys don't agree, Yeah. I'm just going to go with the one that makes me a winner. Okay. I don't okay. know why I didn't think of this. Yeah. So I'm going to answer... No one can see you pointing. Yeah. <laughs> Mark A, you are wrong. Markalis. So, it is real. I can't wait for this. I just did that to boost your ego, Nick. Okay. Charmin is looking to wipe away the troubles of the mad <laughs> pooper with an offer she can't reuse. The toilet paper brand caught wind of the viral story about the jogger dubbed the Mad Pooper of Colorado Springs and gave the woman a proposition on Twitter if she turned herself in a year's supply of toilet paper. Wow. Hold on. Are you ready for the details yes. of this story? While the joke offer might sound tempting to some, it hasn't convict, convinced the Mad Pooper to turn herself in <laughs> as authorities continue their search. Ready? Hold on. The woman has been defecating near this person's home about once a week and leaves behind her waist with paper towels. Uh. I put a sign on the wall like, please, I'm begging you, please stop. <laughs> she ran by it like 15 times yesterday. And guess what? She still pooped. That's why the family put out photos of the jogger to the public in hopes it'll flush out her identity. <laughs> However, no ID has yet to surface. Colorado uh, Springs police are asking anyone with information about the identity of the mad pooper to please contact them. Wow. You know what? Where did that article come from? New York Daily News. Whoever read that article is... Genius. Just a genius. Has so much yeah. fun with that. Yeah. yeah just an English triple major absolute. Do you think that person is mentally sane? Oh. 
the pooper or the writer? The pooper. I think the pooper is. I don't think the writer is. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's just a product of quarantining for too long. It's like this person doesn't know what to do with their life anymore. Oh, it's just yeah. like exciting it's for like, them. I just got to go out and poop some. Gets the blood boiling. Well, maybe she goes out for a jog and she gets a little tired and she's like, you know what? I'm pooped. Poop time. But it oh, apparently it, poop. There you go. it's the same house that she keeps going to. <laughs> yeah. Hold on. You know what? Because we just started recording again, I kind of want to just break the ice a little bit. I got one more for you. Okay. Missing woman unwittingly joined search party looking for herself. Oh. Fake news or real news? Real news. Florida woman? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, that sounds real. I'm going to say real. Yeah, that's mad real. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I glad I, I'm glad I stumped you before, and I'm okay with this because... I just want to talk about it. Check this out. This sounds like uh, Patrick Starr. Oh, uh, like, it does. I just, we needed to talk about this, so I knew you guys were going to get it. A group of tourists spent hours Saturday night looking for a missing woman near Iceland's uh, canyon, some type of canyon. I'm not going to even attempt to say that. Only to find her among the search party. Hold on. The group was traveling through Iceland on a <laughs> tour bus and stopped near the volcanic canyon in the southern highlands Saturday afternoon. One of the women on the bus left to change her clothes and freshen up. When she came back... <laughs> so fresh. <laughs> freshen up, yeah. When she came back, her busmates didn't recognize her. Soon there was a word of a missing passenger. The woman didn't recognize the description of herself and joined in the search. About 50 people searched the terrain. The terrain. I don't know why I said terrain. The terrain by vehicles and on foot. The Coast Guard was even readying a helicopter to help. Jeez. But the search was called off around 3 a.m. when it became clear the missing woman was, in fact, accounted for and searching for herself. That's crazy. You would think, like, at some point they would be like, oh, yeah, this lady was on the bus at this time and then she got off. And you would think the lady would be like, oh, yeah, that, that was me. Hold on. Can we talk about something for a second, though? This lady got up to freshen herself up and then that noise dropped happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But. She did so well that when she came back, oh, man. they're like, who the heck is this? Yeah. That other lady is missing. Yeah. What did she put on her face that completely transformed her identity? Uh, Lipstick. L'Oreal. Olay. <laughs> what was this? Like Revlon? Mimi from Drew Carey? I don't know. It was kind of like a deep, like soul-searching story. Was it's she like, wearing a Halloween mask? Like, how much makeup do you have to pile on your face? Well, yeah. To walk away for 10 minutes and come back and they're like, who are you? Yeah. But this is almost like an analogy for us. We go searching. Oh. Searching for ourselves. Oh. But we don't know it. Yeah. Because we're just making up. We're making up. <laughs> we're making up. <laughs> yeah. You know what happens when you try to find yourself? You won't. Oh. Until you find your identity in Christ. Oh. How Daddy loves you dogs. doing? How you doing? Okay, where should I begin? It's dark outside, it's ominous. When I had no dough, ate ramen with a whole lot of rich. Now I'm convinced that I'm content, but I gotta get a whole lot for my time is spent. And I'm diving in with the psalmist red. I'm feeling myself like Madonna did. Quarantine when the virus hit. I'm like, where did my commas went? Gotta hide out like Osama Crib. That's spring break here with no common sense. Therapy for the trauma lived. Oh, that's where all of my dollars spent. That's my Hey, hey, I'm excited. Are yeah. you guys excited? Yep. Yeah. What are we talking about today? We are talking about the book of Matthew. Matty. Matthew. Mattathias. And I know that it. we always forget this soundbite, so I'm going to get it out of the way. Where are the turtles? Where are they? And it's your section, but you know what I'm excited about? Since what? when do we forget that? Last episode. Oh. <laughs> I'm excited because I actually know what that soundbite is referring to now. You finally watched the episode? I finally watched the episode. With the gift baskets? I'm like uh, in season six, mm -hmm. and I'm almost done, but I had to take a break because it became a mental obsession. Yeah. I was dreaming about it. I was like comparing real-life situations to The Office, and I'm like, I got to stop watching this thing. And I was thinking about Pam and uh, whatever his face is. What's his name? Pam. You're in season six, and you don't know Jim's name? Pam and Jim. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I'm terrible at names. I don't even know your names. Yeah. But uh, 
Yeah, I was thinking about their like it got weird. I was like, I got to take a long break and come back. How mm-hmm. weird were these dreams? No, because I was watching it hours a day, bro. Yeah, I literally, my wife and I, because I was what two three weeks off because mm-hmm. of the pregnancy. I mean the 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 baby coming, and that's all we watched from yeah. early on into the night. So it was the only thing in my head. It's yeah. a good life choice. It got weird. Yeah. Well, since the last time we recorded. <laughs> Like in August, Alyssa and I watched all the way through Avatar: The Last Airbender. Oh, nice! That's a good show. You know, I loved that show when I was younger, and I always wanted to finish it, and I never have. Did uh, they? You did should. they even? Did it even get finished? It did. It did. There were some issues with the airing with Nickelodeon, but uh. we had the DVDs. Oh, really? And so now we're watching Legend of Korra, which is the follow-up series, the spinoff, right? That one, and it's about the water grill. Yeah, it's like she's the two generations after when Aang was alive. Yeah, right. She's the next Avatar. It's cool. I loved Avatar. You should finish like it. Like the movie? No, the show. No, it's you remember a, the cartoon? The show. TV show. You never saw the show? It was sick. It was kind of like an American version of anime, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it was awesome. So th- sometimes that that stuff will be in my head because we were like binge watching it. Yeah. So you get what I'm saying, right? Like yeah. When it's all you watch. You think about weird. it. Mm. It gets really weird. Especially when it's a good show that, you know, yeah, you think about it a lot. And yeah. I have to say, I would always make fun of Ryan because I thought The Office was, like, dumb. Because I saw it in bits and pieces. Mm. So I judged it based on not understanding the whole story. Yeah. Just watching Michael Scott do some crazy dumb stuff that looked to me like bad acting. Yeah. And it is bad acting. But it's good acting. Because it's, yeah, it's how it's, it's set like, up. It's like a genius bad acting Right, intentional bad acting, but I didn't know that. I would just watch it in clips and be like, "What's what's the good about this?" You know yeah. what I mean? Well, I'm glad that you appreciate it now. I do. I'm I glad. Do. I do. I started watching The Office when it was airing on TV, and my sister downloaded the seasons off a of LimeWire. That's how. That's how long ago I was watching I The Office. Yeah, we had it. We had a a laptop that we shared and she would download them on LimeWire. We watch them in the room. Nice. <sighs> Good times. Breaking news. I pushed away the soundboard <laughs> and then, and then you went to fix it and he hit this and button. I hit the breaking so I got button. another one for you. <laughs> no, <I'm okay. laughs> All right. Uh, where were we? Where are the we are talking about the turtle of the book. And the book we are going through is obviously Matthew, and obviously the title is Matthew. Now, the title of this book comes from the name of the author, and Matthew's name means Gift of the Lord. His name was Levi, I think, before Jesus changed it. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah, you're right. Tax collector. All right. So. Look at you. Let's get into the author of the book. So there's both external and internal evidences that point to Matthew's authorship of the book, and I want to go through both of them. Firstly, I'm going to go through the external uh, evidences, and the first one is that many early historians and church fathers cited Matthew as the author, and that includes Pseudo-Barnabas, Clement of Rome, Polycarp, Justin Martyr, Clement of Alexandria, Tertullian, and Origen. Pseudo-Barnabas. Yeah, Pseudo-Barnabas. Like, not the real Barnabas? Not the real one. He's a Pseudo-Barnabas. But he's still a human. (laughs) Yeah. Also, the fact that Matthew is not a prominent apostle attests to his authorship. If the New Testament was mythical literature, then our Gospels would most likely come from, quote-unquote, Peter, James, and John, since they're the most prominent figures of the story. That is how ancient myths are always written, and that is how you're... Other ancient religions are written. Always the hero is the author of the book. Mm -hmm. So that's not the case for the New Testament. It's kind of side characters who wrote the books, which is interesting. Secondly, there is some internal evidence that Matthew was the author of Matthew. First of all, and I think this is awesome, a very interesting little fact. Matthew was a tax collector before becoming an apostle, and we see tax collector characteristics in the text, such as this book has more references to coins than any other gospel. This book actually uses three words for different coins that are found nowhere else in the New Testament, 
And being a former tax collector, he would have had a profound knowledge of currency. So there, it talks about the two drachma tax in Matthew 17. It talks about a four drachma coin in Matthew 17. And it also talks about the talents in Matthew 18, parable of the talents. And those types of money aren't mentioned anywhere else. So uh, it's interesting. It seems like the author knows about money and Matthew would. <clears throat> Is that my signature throat clear? <clears throat> we we got to make it a soundbite. No, it's stupid. So that when you don't do it, we can hit it anyway. I think we got to make a soundbite of you saying we got to make that a soundbite because you mm. definitely say that every episode. That's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's well, your can we talk about how we haven't made a soundbite about me? Yeah, um, that's why it's me, that's period. why it's funny. There it is. We got to make a soundbite. Yeah, careful what you wish soundbite. for, Nick. Yeah, uh, that's true. All right. Also, tax collectors for the Roman Empire needed to be great at note taking and keeping records. This wasn't something that was typical of an everyday Jewish man in that time. That gives him a distinct ability to record this gospel. Also, Matthew is a humble man, and this supports his authorship of this book when you compare the way he speaks about himself compared to how the other gospel writers speak of him. Did you guys follow that? Uh, He talks about himself in a certain way compared to how the other gospel writers talk about Matthew. Mm, So basically here, look, throughout the book of Matthew alone, the apostle Matthew is continually referred to as Matthew the tax collector. That would be a contemptuous reference to, to Matthew since tax collectors were a hated group of people. So when the other gospels refer to him, they just call him Matthew. But in the book of Matthew, he is always called Matthew, the tax collector. It's kind of a humbling. Mm. He knows that about himself. Yeah. He's yeah. like, I'm, I'm a sinner. Mm. Also, Matthew threw a feast for Jesus and his friends when he first became a disciple. In Matthew, it's just called a dinner. While in the other gospels, it's referred to as a great banquet. So it's kind of another self-deprecating example of Matthew's humility as a support of his authorship. So you can see kind of, it's it's interesting. You can see his personality throughout the book and how he kind of is humble about his own. And intentional. He's intentional yeah. about what he's exactly. Saying. Yeah. Also, there were two omissions in the book of Matthew that are of note. I'm not really sure the intent in omitting these, but I think it is of note that they're omitted nonetheless. The first one is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, which you can find in Luke. And also the story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector who repented, is in Luke. And both of these are not in Matthew. And I'm not really sure why, but I just think that's interesting that two major stories that are found in other Gospels are not found in Matthew, and they're both about tax collectors. But uh, Luke also has unique uh, parables that are not in other Gospels. I suppose. So when you say omitted... Does it? Do we know that, like in church history, that was taken out of the book? No, I just mean that he didn't include he didn't write it. it. Yeah, he oh. didn't include it in his gospel account. Okay, well, yeah, the other gospels have stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, I suppose the prodigal son is only in Luke, I believe. Yeah. All right, so that is the title and the reasons why Matthew wrote this book. Nikki, nice. And you want to go? Oh, yeah. I guess you do want to go. Of course, I want to go. I'll see you later. All right, see ya. All right, so let's review the date of authorship. We went over the synoptic problem in our intro to the OT episode. If you don't want to get the classic conservative view of the date of authorship, you can go back and listen to some of the other views on authorship of the Gospels. But we do tend to lean towards a conservative view, so we're going to give you the reasons why we believe it was written at a certain date through this lens. We don't have the specific year that this was written in, but we do have clues to the time frame. Dates have been suggested as early as 37 AD. Jesus died four years prior in 33 AD. But many scholars do not give a date later than 70 AD because Matthew didn't make any mention of the destruction of Jerusalem, which happened when? In 70 AD. Matthew's references to Jerusalem as the holy city further implies that it was still in existence at the time of writing. (laughs) Uh, But there are more points to make, and that is that time had to elapse, though, between the events he records and the date of writing because he uses the term to this day a few times. 
He speaks about the traditions and sayings that continue to this day. We see that term in Matthew chapter 27, verse 7 through 8, and in Matthew chapter 28, verse 15. Jewish traditions still lasting to that day and not having passed away yet, plus the fact that early Jewish tradition proclaims Matthew as the first recorded gospel, likely puts authorship of Matthew around A.D. 50. Wow, AD 50, that's in 6,000 years. <laughs> Shut up. All right, next is the general purpose <laughs> of the book. And I believe that Matthew's purpose in writing this book was to show that Jesus is the promised Messiah from the Old Testament. He's the one that the prophecies have been about. Here is what he did, and here is how he died for you. And, and in this gospel, you'll read, it's really directed more towards the Jewish people because of all the things that they thought were saving them. Mm -hmm. So all the traditions, all the laws, you know, we'll read about unclean hands and all this other stuff that they really swore was saving them. But he was like, no, Jesus Christ is what saves you. So even though it was written towards the Jews, it is written towards us as well because we know that Jesus Christ saves us. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of... uh distinct attributes of each gospel and who the audience is. Matthew was definitely written for a more Jewish audience. Yes, and we'll see that for sure. As we go through the um, outline too, he talks a lot about, it's basically a lot about how Jesus is the King of the Jews and how, like Nick said, their uh, traditions and stuff isn't going to save them. It's mm -hmm. Jesus who's going to save them. Exactly. And uh, next up is everybody's parts. Everybody's favorite part of the show. I love bread. All right, it is time for the fun facts for the book of Matthew. First fun fact, Matthew was written pretty distinctively to tell Jewish people about Jesus. Yeah, you well, just said that. Well, deja vu. We know this to be true by the genealogical record that kicks off the book in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. It starts with a genealogy that runs through Abraham and David, so that should make a Jewish audience's ears kind of perk up because this is the messianic line. This is where the promise is. Yeah, this, you know, sorry, what were you going to say? I was going to say that this is the line that the covenants have been made with and that our Messiah is supposed to be coming from. Arker. Yeah, I'm sure... Like I, for myself, I read the New Testament first and I started at Matthew. I'm like, what the heck is, what is this stuff? Yeah. yeah. It kicks off with a genealogy. And a mm -hmm. lot of times in the Bible, when we skip a genealogy, it's because I eh, kind of like whatever, who cares? Yeah. But then now after reading the Old Testament and I see that genealogy, it's like, whoa. Yeah. And there's some yeah. big cool. names in there too, right? Yeah. It's pretty cool to read They're through definitely that. definitely there for a reason. Yeah. yeah. All right. Second fun fact. Matthew's gospel is written, quote, unquote, logically, not chronologically. So he groups certain types of events together. He'll put together a group of Jesus' teaching, then he'll put together a group of miracles, and it's not necessarily in chronological order. Oh, yeah. Is it Luke is the chronological one, right? Oh, Luke is so chronological right now. Oh, man. Bruh. He's never been more chronological. Bruh. All right. Let's get into the outline of the book. You guys ready? I'm ready. You guys ready to tackle Matthew? I don't think you're ready. I am ready for this jelly. All right. Jelly. We have seven. Were you trying to add your own effect to that? <laughs> <laughs> I want Mark to do something outrageous with that. Um, we have seven, seven. Uh, sections of this book. At least that's how we broke it up here in Dinger Nation. If you break it up a different way, you know, more power to you. But you're wrong, and we're right. I mm -hmm. mean, that's just the way the cookie crumbles. That's I do want to say... revelation from the Lord that we got. Yeah. Yeah. Before we dive in, actually, to the outline, uh, what I'm going to start doing is uploading these outlines to the Patreon page mm. so that people that are investing in our ministry will be able to follow along in the episode and have something visual and be able to learn. I like that. Um, so if you're not a Patreon, make sure you take advantage 
and uh, become one. And you have a little bit of benefits um, when you put your money towards this ministry. Also, if you need some help with uh, reading through the Bible and you want some extra resources, we do have a fantastic deal for Lagos. Um, if you go to BibleDingers.com slash L-O-G-O-S, you can get some discounts on that program. And it's a really amazing program. I've been using it for school and uh, it's really helping me. There's a gazillion commentaries, a, gaz- a gazillion articles, Bible dictionaries, and so much more. So make sure you check that out as well. All right. So with that being said, we use many commentaries and many resources for these outlines. So for sure. Yeah, the Message Bible is really good. The Message Bible. We also use the Passion Translation. <laughs> yeah, our and two I favorites. Pretty much just go off of what my heart tells me. <laughs> yeah. So three, at least three sources for these outlines. Yeah. Listen to your heart. Yeah. I've been waiting for you. All right. So the first section is the introduction of the king, the Kang. That is chapter one through chapter four. And it starts out with the king's genealogy in chapter one, like we spoke about. And it's full of big names and cool peoples, David, Abraham, Rahab, uh, Boaz, so on and so forth. Then after that, at the end of chapter one comes the king's birth. And uh, you guys all know about that. The Christmas story. Mm-hmm. Although it didn't happen on December 25th, I'm quite sure. Gasp. But uh, that's the end of chapter one. Then we get into chapter two, which is about the king's childhood. And that starts out with the wise men seeing the star in the beginning of chapter two. Following that, uh, at the end of chapter two, an angel told Joseph to flee because Herod was killing baby. Nice. And then lastly, at the very end of chapter two, the angel said, Herod's dead. So you can move back to Nazareth. And that is Jesus's childhood. Was that last episode? We talked about there's like five Herods. There is. Yes. Yeah. Okay. The Herodian dynasty. Yeah. All right, following the birth and childhood of Jesus, we got the king's preparation for ministry, and that is chapter 3 and 4. And in chapter 3, we get introduced to John the Baptist. Those are the first 12 verses of chapter 3. And then at the end of chapter 3, John the Baptist baptizes Jesus, and then the Holy Spirit descends and this is my son whom I'm well pleased and so on and so forth. That famous scene. Yeah. Very famous scene. That is in chapter three. After that, in chapter four is Jesus's temptation. And that is when he went out into the wilderness for 40 days and Satan tempts him to uh, jump off of buildings and turn rocks into bread and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. Basically. Yeah. Awesome. And for point two, we see... In uh, chapters 4 through 7, the authority of the king. In chapter 4, we see the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the setting of Jesus' ministry, and early on to the chapter, and that's the land of Zebulon and Naphtali. And Jesus' essential message in verse 17 of chapter 4, and that is the same message as it is today, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Then we have the call of four disciples in verses 18 through 22 of chapter 4, and that's Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And a summary of Jesus' ministry at the uh, at verses 23 to 25, and that's where he healed and taught great crowds. This is not the only time he's, <laughs> he's continuously teaching great crowds. As you can imagine, this man is coming and doing miracles, Obviously, there's going to be crowds of people there to hear him speak. Um, But then we have in chapter 5 into 7, Jesus' revelations concerning participation in his kingdom. In early on in chapter 5, we have the setting of the Sermon on the Mount, on mountain, again, with crowds. Uh, This is nothing new to him. The subjects of Jesus' kingdom, continuing in chapter 5, the Beatitudes and salt and light comes from Latin words, Beatitudo, which means what? Anybody know? know? No. Beatitudo? Um, Blessedness. Blessedness. There we go. How come you guys didn't know that? Everybody knows that. Well, to be honest, I did know that. Yeah. 
Yeah. I wonder why. Anyway, then we have the importance of true righteousness from chapter 5 into chapter 7. And that says it starts in the heart. True righteousness starts in the heart. Yeah, that's a pretty big section where Jesus was preaching a lot about sin and stuff like that. And um, the, the true meaning of the law. Yeah. yeah. Lust and murder and all that stuff, how it actually takes place in your heart. It's exactly. Not, it's not necessarily just the act. Yeah, I, I always think it's important to note, like what we glossed over, kind of that his the first recorded words of Jesus' ministry starts with repent. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it starts with sin, basically. Yeah, like you know, why do we need to repent? Why would he start with this? But that's mm-hmm. a really important thing. Yeah, it's, and then I think following and also an equal importance is this part where he talks about how the sin is in your heart, and it's not necessarily just cleaning up your actions; it's getting your heart renewed mm-hmm. yeah and this is this is a continuous message especially to the scribes and the pharisees mm-hmm. and all those people trying to correct the disciples and what they're doing and jesus is like no, no 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 it's not about what you're doing it's about what comes out of you yeah that actually <clears throat> ruins who you are it ruins what what you're trying to do not your actions your unclean hands or anything else that you do is not going to ruin your heart Yeah, that's a constant, I want to mention, that's a constant that you'll see not only in Matthew, but all the Gospels, that the Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees, they're really Jesus' main adversary, I guess you could say, in these stories. It's not so much uh, the tax collector and the prostitute and the ones here in America we would classically call the sinner. Those weren't, when you read through the Gospel, those weren't the enemies of Jesus. Those are the ones who who clung to Jesus, and the more self-righteous Pharisees who are trying to disprove Jesus. The people who thought they knew it all. Right. They're the ones who Jesus is always coming against. Hypocrites. And and he's being stern with. The religious leaders. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And there are false alternatives. And we see that in chapter 7. And this is hinting towards what we're talking about. The wide path, the wolf in sheep's clothing, the house built on sand. These are all things that we are aiming at when we're talking about the Pharisees and the scribes and all those people that have their foundations built on something that's going to cause their house to crumble. Mm. Um, But then we have the response of the audience in chapter 7, verses 28 through 29, straight-up astonishment. Mm -hmm. Um, They love Jesus. It's countercultural, really, at that time. Mm -hmm. It's still countercultural. Yeah, it is, yeah. And then we have in point uh, three of the outline, the manifestation of the king, and that's chapter eight, all the way through chapter 11, demonstrations of the king's power in chapters eight and nine, and Jesus's obvious ability to heal. And that starts to show in chapter eight. He heals a leper, centurion's daughter, Peter's mother-in-law, and not only does he have the ability to heal, but he also has authority over his disciples. That's again in chapter eight. Foxes have holes. Um, you know, there's that whole lesson there. Uh, the son of man has no place to lie his head. And then not the son of man. Let the dead bury their own dead. These are all lessons that require in-depth study. But um, it's basically meaning that Jesus does have authority over his disciples. Yeah, I just want to jump in real quick since... Um we're kind of we're kind of going fast here. I want to explain why. It's because this is such a big book, and there's so much to talk about. Exactly. If we if we sat here and talked about every single lesson that Jesus taught in the book of Matthew, this would be like a six hour need, episode. Yeah, we would need hours and hours. So yeah, we're just gonna try and give you an idea of how the book of Matthew goes. Well, uh, that is true, but it's safe to say that if you're new at reading the Bible, and this is your it's the first time you're getting your feet wet. These lessons that Jesus is teaching are not hard studies. Mm -hmm. Um, We would encourage you to please dive into them. And that's one of the reasons why we're really not bringing up the details of what he's trying to teach here is because you can do it on your own. And it's, they're really not saying they're not deep studies, but you can do it. You don't have to study the Greek or the Hebrew if this is the first time you're getting your feet wet in order to understand what Jesus is trying to teach in these lessons. How you doing? All right, so we know he has the ability to heal. We also know that Jesus has authority over his disciples. And the next thing is that Jesus has supernatural power. And we are still seeing this in chapter 8. Chapter 8 is a powerful chapter. 
And it actually goes into chapter 9. And this is where Jesus calms a storm. He casts out demons. He heals a paralytic. And uh, not only that, but he has authority over his critics. And this is moving into chapter 9, verses 9 through 17. Those who are well have no need for a physician. I came to call the sinners, not the righteous. So this Mm. is what Jesus is saying. This is a really powerful stuff. Please read it. Uh, This episode is not to replace you reading your Bible, because when you read Jesus's words, they are life-changing. Not only does he have all of these powers and uh, the ability to heal, supernatural power, authority, but he also has the ability to restore. Not only restore what we see in this text, but also the ability to restore your life. But in context, in chapter 9, verses 18 through 34, Jesus heals a bleeding woman, he heals a dead girl, and he heals a mute man. So Jesus does mighty work and miracle in this book. Then we move on to declarations of the king's presence. Chapter 9 into chapter 11, Jesus' Jesus's compassion, he healed and helped many people, and in compassion on many people, Laborers are few, but harvest is many. Again, these are practical lessons that Jesus is teaching through chapter 9. And Jesus' commissioning happens in chapter 10 early on of his 12 disciples. And he sent them out with power to heal. And we also find out that they have power to cast out demons as well. And then we see Jesus' charge concerning his apostles' mission again in chapter 10. And this is in, in verses 5 through 42, where he tells them, do not be afraid, be bold, and be compassionate. And it's a very similar call to what he's calling us to do today. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're really applicable sections, and you can still learn them in context, and of course I encourage that. But a lot of these passages in the Gospels are very applicable to Christians today. For sure. Then we are at our last point in the declarations of the king's presence, and that's Jesus' continuation of his works early on in chapter 11. And he continued to teach and preach after commissioning the disciples. So that means that even if you send people out, even if you raise disciples, even if you, uh, let's say you're a missionary, or let's, let's say you're, you, know, you tell somebody, that doesn't mean your work is done. You still have to lead by example, and Jesus leads a perfect example here in this passage for us. All right, next we move on to point four of this outline, the opposition to the king, and that's chapter 11 into chapter 13, evidence, uh, evidences of Israel's opposition to Jesus in chapter 11, questions from the king's forerunner, that's in chapter 11 also, that's where John the Baptist acts of Jesus is the one to come. And Jesus says, he is. And we knew that he is. But what I find interesting, and we're going to bring this up, is that anytime Jesus, uh, people really found out who Jesus was, he's like, yeah, but don't tell anybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, at least until um, a certain point. And then yeah. he's like, All Yeah, right. yeah, because he wanted the Gets will the bag. of... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he wanted the will of God to happen. And, and not saying that anything could happen that, but he didn't want... He, it was a humble thing, I think. He just wanted he just wanted the purpose of God to to have its full path. Are but you then, lying to me? Obviously, once you know uh, the government found out, then the ministry was basically stopped in, in a way. So you know, yeah, there was wisdom in keeping it hush. Yeah, yep, keeping the cat inside of the inside bag. the bag. Yeah, yeah, I like that parable. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Yep. That's a great, the parable of keeping the cat inside the bag. Yeah. Yeah. That's not in there, but it's great. And then we see the indifference to the king's message in chapter 11. And that's where Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum didn't accept Jesus' teaching. And we continue to move on to the king's invitation to repentance in chapter 11, verses 25 through 30. What does Jesus say? Something that he continuously says, come to me. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Mm. And, such a good book, man. Uh, yeah, it really is. <laughs> and I know this outline is pretty long, um, but we're trying to get through it as fast as we can just to give you a general idea of what's going on. But like I said, make sure you read this stuff. It's super important. Were those cities that 
he passed through, um, were those the ones that he said it'll be worse on Judgment yep. Day for these cities in, than uh, Sodom than and Gomorrah? Than Sodom and Gomorrah, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's it. Chapter 11. Yeah. yeah, but now we're moving into chapter 12, and that's specific instances of Israel's rejection of Jesus. We see conflict over Sabbath observance. Of of course, it starts with the Pharisees in chapter 12, verses 1 through 21. And they're busting Jesus' chops for working on the Sabbath. Again, (laughs) Jesus says, it's about the heart. I put busting his chops on the outline, but I didn't expect you to actually say it. (laughs) (laughs) Just like an overview of what happened, I guess. Yeah. Well, don't write things if you don't want me to say them. Sorry. You want me to say breaking his Pharisees were busting his freaking chops, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> freaking Pharisees. All right. And then conflict <laughs> over Jesus' power. Again, the Pharisees said he's casting out demons with Beezebub's power. Beezebub. Beezebub's. 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 Beezebub. Beezebub. And Jesus is like, <laughs> wait, how can Satan cast out Satan? So oh. It's pretty interesting. How? How? Uh, and then we move on to conflict over Jesus' sign in chapter 12, verses 38 through 45. The Pharisees wanted a sign. Uh, we also see this in the book of Mark that we're going to talk about. He Jesus said this says, adulterous generation. Oh. They're like Jonah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Jesus says they'll get a sign of Jonah. Three days, three nights in the earth. You know what that means? He's going to die, and then he's going to raise again. Mm. <laughs> oh, spoiler alert. How spoiler. you doing? <laughs> then we have conflict over Jesus' kin in chapter 12, verses 46 through 50. Whoever does the will of my father is my brother. Then we move on to parables, everybody's favorite part of Jesus' teaching. Favorite. Parables because of Israel's rejection of Jesus in chapter 13, verses 1 through 53. The setting is on a boat while crowd was on the beach. And then the parables addressed to the multitudes in chapter 13, uh, verse 3 into verse 33. And there's a lot of parables going on about sowers and seeds and several others as well. But the function of these parables in chapter 13 is to fulfill prophecy and also to teach applicable lessons and lessons that we very well can pull for ourselves today. Um, And then we see the parables addressed to the disciples specifically in verses 44 through 52, and that's the parable of the lost treasure, the pearl in the net, and so on and so forth. And then we move on to the departure in chapter 13, verse 53, and that's where Jesus left Nazareth. That was long. Yes, and you know my favorite part about this teaching moment with Jesus is that he's on a boat and that his congregation is on the beach. Mm. It's got to be cool, man. You know, if you're a preacher and you're the boat is your preaching from a boat, I you guess. know what I mean? And maybe, you know, I don't want to look into this too far. He tells a parable of lost treasure. Okay. He's a pirate. And a pearl. <laughs> maybe he's on a pirate ship. <laughs> maybe he was like... Repent. (laughs) Repent and be baptized. (laughs) The people were hooked. Oh, that was good. How you doing? Next is the fifth section of Matthew. (laughs) Sorry. That's heresy. (laughs) I know. Okay. And that is the reaction of the king to the rejection of himself. And that is in the end of chapter 13 on to chapter 19. And it starts with opposition, instruction, and healing in chapters 13 to 16. So the opposition at first comes from the Nazarenes and the Romans in chapters 13 and 14. And this is that story where the Nazarenes reject Jesus because that's his hometown, you know, and they're like, isn't this guy son of a carpenter or whatever. And uh, so he was rejected there. And because of that, he withdrew to Bethsaida. And that's where he ended up feeding the 5,000. He walks on water there. And that's where Peter fell into the water because he didn't have faith. 
Following that, he moved on to Gennesaret. 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 And many people were healed there. And then following that, we get some opposition from the Pharisees and scribes again. And that's chapter 15. And basically, this is where the Pharisees come around. And they're talking about how the disciples don't wash their hands. And Jesus says that it's not about your hands. It's about your chest. What a stone. Points to heart. Oh. Yep. Pecs. <laughs> it's about your pecs. <laughs> After that, he withdrew to Tyre and Sidon. Uh, heads up, Tyre and Sidon. You're going to get destroyed one day. Yeah. But anyway, Jesus is there right now. It's chapter 15. And he heals a woman's daughter while he's there, but her future is still looking bleak. (laughs) If you don't know what I'm talking about, go back to the Daniel episode uh, where Daniel prophesies about the destruction of Tyre and Sidon. Wait, no, that's in Ezekiel. What am I talking about? I just automatically associate Daniel with prophecy, I guess. Mm. I wouldn't have been able to tell you which. Was that joke too obscure? Yes. Following that was the public ministry to the Gentiles, and that was chapter 15. And here is where he taught Gentiles. He healed Gentiles, and he fed 4,000. And keep in mind, when he fed 5,000, when he had, when he fed 4,000, that's just talking about the men in the group. So it's more likely close to maybe fourteen or 15,000 when it says 5,000. And for the 4,000, it's probably closer to 12,000 because mm-hmm. there was also women and children there. Yeah, it happened <clears throat> two times. Yeah double time. And then after that, we got the opposition of the Pharisees and Sadducees in chapter 16. And they told Jesus to give them a sign again. And once again, he says, you will get the sign of Jonah, you adulterous friggin' people. All right. And then after that, we got Jesus' instructions of his disciples around Galilee. So he makes his way over to Galilee in chapter 16 through 19. He starts his instruction about who he is, about how he's the son of God. And then he goes on to instruction about his program. So he actually prophesies about the church and the crucifixion. And then finally in chapter 17, we get the transfiguration, which is a crazy portion of the gospels. Mm -hmm. Go check it out. We get cameo appearances from Elijah Mm -hmm. and uh, it's a good time up on a mountain. Following that, We get instruction about the king's principles in the end of chapter 17, where he basically says, have faith and pay your taxes. This is where he says, pay Caesar what is Caesar's, pay God what is God's. Yeah. Jesus said, if you want to be a Christian, you should be a good citizen. That's it. Pay your taxes. Kent Hovind. (laughs) Following that. Does he not pay taxes? No, he went to jail for not paying taxes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You didn't know about that? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, instruction about the king's personal representatives in chapter 18. Basically, this is instructions for you and I, how we must be if we are going to represent Jesus. We must be A, humble, B, righteous, C, forgiving. D, Republican. (laughs) (laughs) I missed that memory. And lastly, the last part of the fifth section is the transition from Galilee to Judea. Basically, him and his boys pack up, head to Judea. Next is section six. And this is the official presentation and rejection of the king. And that's in chapters 19 through 25. And basically, it starts with Jesus' instructions to his disciples in Judea. Like I said, they moved over to Judea and he starts with instruction about marriage in chapter 19, the beginning of chapter 19, where he basically says, don't get divorced. Following that is instruction about childlikeness where he basically says, be childlike. That needs some explaining. (laughs) Go read a commentary. The childlike faith. Yeah. It's like eager to follow after God. Be childlike, be childish, (laughs) be immature is what Jesus is saying. Following that, instruction about wealth. Basically, he says, be generous, be humble. Those are your instructions about wealth. Following that, at the end of chapter 20, is a prophecy about crucifixion. And then he gives instruction about serving. 
And he says, this is one of the famous lines where he says, son of man came not to be served, but to serve and be a ransom for many. Amen. And lastly, in chapter 20, we have an illustration here where blind men were healed. And this is kind of an illustration to go with the instructions from before about how the eyes were opened and they now see and they are now made new. All right, following that, we got chapter 21, and this is Jesus's presentation of himself to Israel as the king of the Jews. And basically, he prepared for the presentation by telling the disciples to go get a donkey, which is, of course, prophesied about in the book of Micah, I want to say. Incorrect. The prophecy is from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And then following that is his entrance into Jerusalem on the donkey. And this is, of course, where Palm Sunday comes from. This is where the palm branches and robes were laid out in the street before Jesus, and he rode in on the donkey, and everyone was saying, Hosanna in the highest. And then after that, Jesus rode straight to the temple, and he drove out the merchants. This is all one scene, which is pretty cool. I didn't. I actually didn't realize that until I reread through it. I didn't realize that it was connected, oh, yeah. that he rode the donkey into the temple and drove at the merchants kind mm-hmm. of all in one event. There was um, a prosperity preacher, Jesse Duplantis, where he was trying to raise money for his like $54 million jet. Uh-huh. And one of the things he said, he was like, if Jesus was alive today, he wouldn't be riding a donkey. <laughs> no way. Yep. I really believe that if Jesus was physically on the earth today, he wouldn't be riding a donkey. Think about that for a minute. He'd be in an airplane preaching the gospel all over the world. That's wild. He would have what's equivalent to a donkey today. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, $54 million. <laughs> it's, probably, uh, it's probably my car outside. Oh, come on, Nikki. Yeah, Prius. Okay. Oh, Prius. PT Cruiser. Mm. PT Cruiser. A little moped. A moped. I like, Yeah, a moped. <laughs> We're going to go with the moped. A motorized scooter. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> or maybe just the old, the good old two feet. Like the Flintstones? Yeah. <laughs> Just like that. All right. Then in chapters 21 and 22, we get Israel's rejection of the king. So first, uh, before we kind of get into that, there's the the fig tree incident where Jesus curses the fig tree for not bearing fruit. And then we get the rejection by the chief priests and elders. And basically, the self-righteous people rejected Jesus Um while tax collectors and prostitutes accepted him. And then we get the rejection by the Pharisees and the Herodians. And they, they tried to, you, you constantly see this throughout the gospels, but especially here towards the end where they tried to trap and trick Jesus with these weird questions that are just supposed to, they're like gotcha questions. They're just supposed to put him in a hard situation, but Jesus always has the perfect answer as he would. Or the perfect question. Yeah, that's right. He always responds exactly how he should. Following that, in chapter 23, we get the king's rejection of Israel. And I keep mentioning the king and Israel because, like we said earlier, that this gospel is really written by Matthew to the Jewish people. So I just wanted to remind you of that. Um, and we get here Jesus' admonition of the multitudes and his disciples where he basically tells his disciples and the crowds, do not be like the Pharisees. And then he indicts them and, and he issues seven woes to the hypocritical, hypocritical Pharisees. Um, and then finally, in chapter 23, verses 37 and 39, we get Jesus' lamentation over Jerusalem. Uh, basically, this is another kind of famous scene where he looks over Jerusalem and he's sad and he talks about the city that stones the prophets and how he wishes like a mother hen, I think, can gather her chicks that he could do that with Jerusalem. And then we get the king's revelations concerning the future. So chapter 24 and 25, this is a very eschatological section of the Gospels. This is where Jesus talks about the end of the world. And uh, it starts in chapter 24 where we get the setting of the Olivet Discourse is what it's called. And he's leaving the temple and goes up the Mount of Olives, which sounds disgusting. I like olives. I hate olives. I like the oil from the olives. I love olives. I love olive. I love olives. I like black olives, but not green ones. Yeah, I don't like either. 
Um, so his Olivet discourse starts with his warnings about deception. And he basically says that in that day, many will come in my name. And then he gives a general description of the future in verses seven through 14, following this grand event that he called that is titled in your Bibles, the abomination of desolation. Mm-hmm. That's Daniel. Yes. Um, and it basically talks about how there will be a great tribulation. And then after this great tribulation, there will be a second coming of the king. And then he also lays out some responsibilities of the disciples. And he says, be ready and productive in the meantime while you're awaiting the return of the king. Shout out, Lord of the Rings. And lastly, the king's judgment of the nations. This is in Matthew 25. 31 through 46, it talks about the final judgment and how Jesus will one day separate the sheep from the goats. And that will be the final judgment. Nikki, do you want to close us out with the last section of Matthew? Sure. All right. Now we're moving into chapters 26 through 28. That's the crucifixion and resurrection of our king. The king's crucifixion happens in chapters 26 and 27. Preparations for Jesus' crucifixion happens in chapter 26, where the Last Supper happens, and the Garden of Gethsemane. Then the arrest of Jesus happens in chapter 26. A lot of stuff happens in this chapter. Verses 47 through 56, this is where Judas betrays Jesus, Peter cuts off an ear, and the disciples flee. All of this happens um, right before he gets crucified. So a lot of these stories are very familiar. Um, and then the trials of Jesus in chapter 26 into chapter 27. And this is Jesus before Caiaphas. Judas kills himself. Peter denies Jesus. It's, you know, Jesus already saw this coming. He warned him. And then uh, this Jesus before Pilate. This, all of these stories should be very familiar to you. If they're not, make sure you check them out in chapters 26 through 27. Then we have uh, the crucifixion of our Savior in chapter 27. And this specifically happens in verses 27 through 56. And this is the famous saying that Jesus says, uh, My God, why have you forsaken me? We know he was quoting from the Psalms. Um, and this definitely requires some in-depth studying that we're not going to get into today. But if you have any questions about the statement, feel free to reach out to us on uh, social media or BibleDingers at gmail.com. We'll definitely give you our interpretation of what's going on here for sure. Can I say one thing? I just want to say that these verses are probably the crux of the Bible. Mm-hmm. This is the crossroads of everything in the Bible. The crucifixion burial and resurrection of Jesus. Isn't that, Absolutely. Is that where the word crux comes from? You know, from? I was going to say that too. I think that crux is uh, derived from the same word as cross. I know uh, this is another fun fact. I know the word excruciating comes from the word crucifixion, crucifixion. Mm. and uh, because of how excruciating it, is, it was, I guess. Mm. Um, so I think actually crux is also derived from cross. Excruciating. Well, crucifixion. Yeah. 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 All right. Sorry. Yeah. I just wanted to jump in and say that uh, these these verses that Nikki is going through are maybe, I mean, I don't want to say there's more important parts of the Bible or less important, but these are probably the most significant verses in the whole Bible. These are essential doctrines. Yeah. So if you hear the ABCs behind us, obviously Ryan's kids are up, so... <laughs> Oh, so we are at now the burial of Jesus in chapter 27, verses 57 through 66. He was buried, and a guard was put in front, but then didn't end there. I'm sorry, Nick, your Brooklyn accent. And a guard was put in the front. <laughs> and a guard? Yeah, there you go. You know what I mean? He grabbed a slice of pizza on the way out, you know what I mean? I said God. He threw yeah. some mozzarella on there. <laughs> I said God. Yes, you did. Oh, that was that was by accident. A guard was yeah. put in front. All right, and it didn't end there though. They true from some freaking mozzarella. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, the king's resurrection happens in chapter twenty-eight. We have the empty tomb early on in chapter twenty-eight, 
There's where Mary Magdalene and other Mary told by an angel that Jesus is not there. Mm-hmm. Then we see Jesus' appearance to the woman in chapter 28, verses 8 through 10. They left to go tell, and Jesus stopped to say, Hello. <laughs> <laughs> the way you write notes is like insane to me. I'm what sorry. Was this 1 a.m.? No, but it's just like, that's how I think, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. I'm just writing off the top of my They head. left to go tell, and Jesus stopped to say hi. <laughs> <laughs> just, these are the notes that Ryan gives Is that gives the me. passion translation? <laughs> this is definitely the message version. Yeah. <laughs> but you guys get the idea. And then there was the attempted cover-up in chapter 28, verses 11 through 15. And this is where there's still, there's still crazy people that believe this, that Jesus' body was stolen. And we know it didn't happen, but... There are people that are going to believe in it. Probably the super, the anti-supernaturalists that we bring up. There you go. Um, in mm-hmm. uh, previous episodes. And if you guys don't know what that is, you got to listen to some of our previous episodes. Mm-hmm. All right. So we have the king's final instructions to his disciples in chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. And that is the same command that he's giving us today. Go, therefore, and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. We know that's our job. We need to go out and tell people about the gospel. So this is my opportunity to tell you, believer, if you have not told anyone about the gospel this week or today when you're listening to this, make sure you tell someone. Conversations can always lead to Jesus. And I've noticed that as I'm in school now studying about missions and evangelism, Every conversation can lead to Jesus. And this is what Jesus is telling his disciples, and this is what he's telling you. It's your call on your life. You need to go and make disciples. Yeah, you know, if you want to base your life on something, I would say base it on these verses. You know, For sure. Me and my wife have really made a lot of our big life decisions based on the Great Commission. Is this, is living here going to fulfill the great commission is doing this with our life going to fulfill the great commission is this church that we're attending fulfilling the great commission and if you if you're kind of stuck with big life decisions at least i I mean this is obviously up to you but this is how my wife and i have kind of helped work through some of these big life decisions is basing it on these last verses in matthew is this going to help me fulfill the great commission Mm -hmm. because that's what gives you purpose in life yep it's not it's not A lot of these other things, a lot of other people tell you that you get purpose from a lot of other things in life, but this is really where you get purpose in life by following the life that Jesus has laid out for believers. It gives you a sense of journey and adventure for men who desire that and for women. This is is where our true purpose comes from as believers. Yeah, so if you have a really tough decision to make in your life, the first question you need to ask is, does it allow me to live for Jesus better? Yeah. Does it allow me to be a better image bearer of Christ? And does it allow me to get into as many situations as possible to tell others about him? And if the answer is no, then the decision is easy. Yep. So that was our episode on the book of Matthew. Of course, this episode is not to replace your Bible reading. Make sure you're reading the Gospels. This is essential doctrine. Uh, other things, you know, like uh, the history, the Old Testament, all those things are very important. And I would never tell you not to read those things. You need to read them to learn about the history of what you believe in. But the doctrines in these Gospels are unshakable. Yep. They are essential. They cannot be changed. And if they are changed, you are not saved. You do not have a relationship with the true God. Mm, and that not, is sad. Robbie's not safe. That is very sad. <laughs> well, we hope that episode was helpful to you in your reading of the Gospels. It's one of my favorite books. It's beautiful. Yes. Especially uh, Sermon on the Mount. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But you know what? We don't just do podcasts. We are also on social media. So make sure you go on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter and search Bible dingers across the board. And while you're there, just give me the likes, don't pass and scroll. Don't pass and scroll. Make sure you hit follow, hit like, hit subscribe, and most importantly, ding on. Also, we are on Patreon, like Nick mentioned before. 
Um, if you want to come alongside us and support us, that would be a huge help to us as uh, we are mostly and have mostly been paying for this out of pocket for a couple of years now. Uh, so we would appreciate your support in that. Uh, also, we have other things like we have a YouTube channel. We have blog posts. We have all kinds of content for you guys that you can consume on com, And you can also find links to our social media. So if you're overwhelmed with all the calls to action here at the end of the episode, just go to com, And you will see everything listed on our website. Ding on, folks. Bible dingers. 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 B